Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about memorials today, but my, the title of my message this morning is Building Your Memorials in Stone. Building Your Memorials in Stone. As Brother Dan, if you were here for his devotion, and you should be, church starts at 10 a.m., he was talking about the origin of Memorial Day and where it came from, and it was birthed in the Civil War, and I'm not going to go back and give all of his details. You have to be here to hear it. Um, but it was designed by a, by a Civil War general to honor the dead. Memorial Day is actually to honor those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, those that, that died in service of the country to preserve our freedom, preserve the things that we have in the United States. And so later on in history, it was, all, it was about the Civil War originally, uh, but later on, uh, in the early 70s, it was changed to represent all those from all wars that have died and given their lives in sacrifice to preserve our liberty. And so now we celebrate that uh, each year in May at this time, and uh, we honor those who have given their lives. Now, we have folks in our congregation uh, that have served in the military. I know, um, and if you, if you have, why don't you give your, raise your hand. So Brother Mitchell, Brother Chris, Brother Matucci, Sister Tina, and Brother Dan. Okay. And now we honor, of course, the fact that you also have served your country because depending on your theater of operation and where you were, you potentially could have sacrificed your life for your country. And so that's always the possibility, no matter what is going on at the time of war, time of peace, you could be called into action. And so there's always that danger, and we honor you for your service this morning as well. Amen? Amen. Thank you. So I won't, I won't go too much into the history of Memorial Day because Brother Dan did a great job on that. I really appreciated his message this morning, his devotion this morning. But I, I thought about this as I was going through this message and I was thinking, my goodness, when we're talking about memorials, look what we've witnessed in the last several months, a little over a year when it comes to memorials. I saw that people's hearts were broken it terrified us in some situations to watch as, as what I would call domestic terrorists in a, in a lashing out against the United States of America began to tear down stone monuments. Monuments of people like Abraham Lincoln who <laughs> was responsible for the Emancipation Proclamation but was declared a racist. Founders of our nation and other, other great men and women who had done works within their time and within their culture that were good things, that were good things to be memorialized. And yet as a lashing out against America and what we stand for, because we know that there's a, we know that there's a, a movement against what we know is the freedom of America, that the patriot America is under attack and socialism is knocking at our door and we know all of that stuff. And so these, these domestic terrorists began tearing down these monuments and we're watching this on CNN or whatever it is that you see or Facebook and, and it, it hurts and, and it, it's, it's a little scary. And it's sad because these stone monuments to these great events are falling down before us or they were, or they were spray painting their faces or they were literally lighting them on fire. I don't know how you, why you would light a stone thing on fire, but nobody said domestic terrorists are intelligent. Clearly, quite the opposite is true. And, uh, but I thought about that because we were so moved by the destruction of these monuments. And you know, you can go in nearly every major city, even minor cities throughout the United States, and there's monuments and monuments and monuments and stone. Uh, my wife and I, a couple of years ago, had the opportunity to go down to Savannah, Georgia for our anniversary. 
and uh, we went to Tybee Island and all that stuff, but we did the Savannah tour. If you've ever been there, it's a beautiful city, amazing, but there's a lot of uh, Civil War and even Revolutionary War um, uh, history there, and so again, it was a city I'd never been to, and here it is. Stone monument, stone monument, stone monument, stone monument, stone monument, all over the place. Amazing, interesting historical references. And I love to read those little plaques and things and and find out the history. We're walking around these beautiful parks and I stop at every plaque and read it. I want to know, I want to be enriched with the history of this nation. I want to be enriched. I want to remember. I want to know, first of all, but I want to remember I want to remember what happened at this place on April the 14th, 1870, whatever, 1640, this and that. I want to know those things. I want to be enriched by that. It's, a, it's why they build them, right? It's to memorialize these important events. And so those stone monuments, and, and, and I thought about it for a little while. And I said, I, I get it. I get why. At first when I was watching it, I thought, people, it's a stone monument. Calm down. But it's not about the piece of stone. It's about what it represents. It's about the memory that it gives you because you get an imagery in your mind as you're reading these plaques and you can almost hear the sabers clashing together and the musket shot and the the trampling of the horses and and the yelling and the fighting. You can almost hear it in your mind as you're reading about some pitched battle that happened or some event that happened. And I realized it wasn't about those stone statues. By the way, you know every single one of those things that was destroyed can be rebuilt, right? I mean, there's more stone. We have an abundant supply. I don't know if they will. We may be too far gone. We may be so politically correct now that we just can't ever erect another Abraham Lincoln again. I was in Washington, D.C. a few years ago with my kids and my wife, and I went to the Lincoln Memorial I thought about that one when they were tearing all that stuff down. I, I said, I want to see this one. Go for it. It's really big. Like, I think Abraham Lincoln's big toe comes about that high. So, like, tear it down. Go for it. But it made me think as I sort of dive, dove into this a little bit more about those feelings that we had from the loss of those memorials. And it is sad. It's a sad thing. I also thought about the times when when the uh, radical Muslims in some of the Middle Eastern countries went after some of the Buddhist monuments and things like that. And the whole idea is they want to eradicate the memories of anything to do with another culture or this previous culture. Same thing that was happening here. So the, the, the people that were doing it were here were mimicking that exact type of an effect, right? And so they went to some of those amazing... Now, of course, it's Buddhism. I don't really care, per se, about Buddhism or whatever, but to somebody it meant something. But it was still part of history, it still had a story to tell. It was still part of the fabric of, of, of our history and our past. It would be as though someone went and tore down all the pyramids and said, ah, forget that, right? It was built by Egyptians, certainly not favorable to God, but it was still an important fabric of our history and our world culture. And, and so they would destroy those beautiful, amazing monuments that were in some cases thousands of years old. And it was so sad to watch those things topple and shatter as they hit the ground. Because you're never going to be rebuilding something that's 1,000 years old or 5,000 years old, whatever it was. And and the loss of that was disheartening. And that's the objective, is to destroy the memory, destroy the thoughts, eradicate from society any thought of those previous cultures. Of course, that's what's being attempted now. 
But I thought about memorials and memorials to God, and I've got some examples here. I'm just going to teach a little bit today, if that's okay, and, and, and I'm going to get you on, on your way to enjoy the rest of your weekend. We've had such an amazing, incredible week of blessings uh, God has poured on us, and we're basking them in, in them today, and I'm just enjoying that piece. But I thought about the memorials, and I started researching and going back and thinking about the different memorials. Brother Dan mentioned some of them today. And I'm just going to go through a couple talking about how important memorials are to God. It's very clear. Now, Brother Dan told you that there's about 32 or 33 references in Scripture overall. That's what I found as well, Brother Dan. About 33 references of the term memorial. And the word memorial in Scripture actually means to remember or for remembrance. Obviously, very straightforward. Now, there's terms in, in Scripture that don't say memorial that are also associated like do this in remembrance, do this for a purpose, etc. But these are some specific ones. The Lord's Supper, Brother Dan mentioned this morning. He literally said, as you take this, do this in remembrance of me. We take our, our, uh, our uh, excuse me, our Lord's Supper every year, uh, twice a year, in honor of that, in remembrance of what God did in sacrifice prior to, to uh, the cross. Um, another one I thought of was the rainbow. The rainbow is a promise. It's a memorial. Every time the rain comes and we see that beautiful color in the sky, it's kind of exciting. Seems like some seasons you go through and there's like 50 rainbows in the season and you're like, holy cow, it's like rainbow fest. And then you don't see any for a couple of years. But every time you see that, you're reminded that God destroyed the world once with water and promised he would never do it again. But the next time is gonna be with fire. Amen? It's a memorial to what he did. He is not a God that is not prone to unleash his judgment. Amen? I think about the Passover, another one that Brother Dan had mentioned this morning. The Passover, of course, when Israel was escaping Egypt and allowed, uh, the death angel passed over and allowed the firstborn of Israel to survive as those in Egypt perished because God was exacting judgment on Egypt for not releasing his people. A memory, a memorial for us, escaping Egypt, the time we left life that life before Jesus, that life of sin. Egypt always represents sin in the word, amen? And so that Passover should be significant to us because we were allowed to escape that life, get away from our own Egypt, and get into our own promised land, amen? The Feast of Tabernacles is is also associated with the escape from Egypt, and many of you may not be familiar with the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also referred to as the Feast of Booths. And what it's, what it's commemorating is that the entire time that Egypt was essentially condemned to live for 40 years in, in the desert, they didn't have homes. They couldn't build huts and buildings and houses because they were constantly moving. And so they lived in little structures they made out of sticks. And God refers them in scripture as booths or, uh, or tabernacles, little houses that they would build that were, they'd throw them together with sticks and throw tents over them and then they would move on. Um, another one Brother Dan mentioned, of course, is the 12 stones in the River Jordan. When the people of Israel were beginning to cross the Jordan, God instructed that the priests would take the Ark of the, of the Covenant and they would step into the River Jordan. And when the feet of the priests carrying the Ark, the presence of God, stepped into the water, the water subsided. And not only did it subside, but it subsided way, way upriver and made a massive clearance so that the people of Israel could cross that river, right, pass over the River Jordan into that promised land. Again, a phenomenal memorial for us. Now, Brother Dan, you mentioned that they built that, that uh, memorial in the middle of the river. The reason they did that was to commemorate that there was pure dry ground that they were walking on. 
That's why. Now, of course, the river eventually would come back over, but the children of Israel would always know about it. Memorials, memorials, as Brother Dan said, are so critically important because it's not just for us, but it's for us to teach our generations, the children coming before us. And the Bible says that the children of Israel, the future generations, would look on those monuments and they would ask, Mom and Dad, why is that pile of rocks there in the river? Why is that pile of rocks standing over here? Why would you do that? And it was the opportunity for the generation before to instruct them and teach them about the, the wonderful works of God and continue that. And so much about our memorials and why memorials exist in this nation is for generation to generation to never forget, never forget what God had done for us. And that's a little bit what I wanna talk about today. Of course, we remember the Sabbath and we keep it holy. We remember uh, the Feast of Purim, if you're not familiar with that. The Feast of Purim commemorates when Esther was called on by God uh, to, to go to the king and try to, try to speak to the king and save the people of Israel. And of course, we know Haman tried to play some little, little tricks there and he built a gallows and he was trying to set up Mordecai and, and uh, set it up so that he would, be, have to, he would have to be uh, sacrificed or killed. And Haman, of course, ended up killed in his own gallows for what he was trying to do. And, and uh, it actually gave the people of Israel the opportunity to fight against their enemies. And so at the Feast of Purim, they commemorate that release and that freedom. Amen? Amen. And then finally, Brother Dan, you mentioned the anointing of Jesus' head by Mary. She sacrificed a lot of money. She sacrificed a lot to anoint Jesus before it was his time. And and it says in Scripture that that memorial is to be forever, that we would always remember the lady, that woman Mary, who sacrificed and spent all that money and took all that expensive oil and anointed our Savior. Amen? Memorials are so incredibly important to God. But I want to take you into the book of Acts chapter 10 and 4. Acts chapter 10, of course, is, is, is the turnaround. It's the pivotal point in, in history with God. It's the point at which God extended his hand to the Gentile nations. Prior to this period in the book of Acts, there was no real discussion about the Gentiles. There was no, everyone that was saved from the time that we celebrated last week on the day of Pentecost, everybody was saved were Jews. You know, sometimes we have a little bit of a, a momentum with some people who are very zealous and very desirous to please God, and, and, and they really get a hold of that whole thing about Jew. We, even, we, we have the, the Jewish flag here in our congregation, but sometimes we get a little bit backwards, and some people go a little bit too far, and they start going the Jewish way, and they kind of forget that it was the Jews that became Christians, and it's not the job of Christians to become Jews. Amen? And so we have this memorial in Acts chapter 10 as God is speaking to Cornelius, the Gentile soldier who's memorialized by God for his good works. Out of nowhere, God starts to work with and, and, and mentions and reaches out to Peter and tells him to go, mention, go, go to minister to this man who's a Gentile. And of course, you know the story. Peter says, oh, I've never touched anything unclean. I don't have anything to do with Gentiles. And God speaks to him over that. Acts chapter 10 and 4 says, And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. So here's a man, a Gentile man, didn't know any of this stuff, was not part of the Jewish tradition, but was praying. He had heard the story. He had gotten the message and had turned to God and was praying and was giving to the needy. Come on, his prayers and his giving were a memorial to God, so much so that it caught God's attention. God reaches out to his key foreman for the job, 
Peter and speaks to Peter and says, you need to go and you need to minister to this man. Of course, you know the rest of the story. He goes and he preaches to to Cornelius' house. And while he's preaching, the Holy Ghost falls and God fills all those in the house, it says, with the Holy Ghost. So much so that the other disciples that traveled with Peter were astonished because God was giving the Holy Ghost to stinky, cruddy Gentiles. The dirty ones. This is a memorial to us that that's the pivotal point. And how did it happen? Because Cornelius was honorable to God and his alms and his prayers went up before God as a memorial. Incredible. That pivotal point in history is why you and I are sitting here today. I don't know if there's any in the congregation that are Jewish. I have a little Jewish blood in me on my grandmother's side, but not much. But if you're a Gentile, you're here because of that pivotal moment in history right there, that memorial that was established, amen? In in Exodus 13 and nine, I'll just reference that for you. God has the Jews memorialize their deliverance from Egypt. It shall be for a sign to you on your hand and for a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And that, of course, is referencing the deliverance we mentioned before. What's really amazing to me as we go forward in Scripture, however, these are, these are memorials for God. These you know, prayers are, are, are not something written down. There's no plaque to Cornelius' prayers, his almsgiving. There isn't anything physical that represents that. These are just things that people do or they say or their actions that memorialize God. But the ones that get, really get to me and the ones that I got in this message, that's why I said memorials in stone, are those that have been placed in stone or stones were used for memorial. Look at Exodus chapter 28 and 12. This is such a, just an interesting and wonderful reflection of how God works. In Exodus 28 and 12, it says, he's speaking to Moses, he says, you shall put the two stones on the shoulder straps of the ephod to be stones of memorial for the children of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for a memorial. And what God was doing here is he was telling Aaron and the priests and Moses that the priests, the pastors, the leaders would be so important in terms of his ministry, the ministering of his word, that he wanted them to know that their names were resting on his shoulders. In other words, the people of God rest on the shoulders of the leaders that God calls to lead. If you look a little bit further into that chapter, it talks about the breastplate that they wear and their names are also written across the breastplate of the priests. So in other words, just so you know, as a memorial of the children of Israel to God, your names are written across the hearts of your pastors and rest on the shoulders of your pastors. And that speaks so much to me because if you, if you could only understand the call of what being a pastor is, you would know that the church sits on our shoulders and the people rest on our hearts. And I love that about God and I carry that burden, I promise you. It's an amazing memorial and I think about it all the time as I pray for my church and I pray for you individually and as I'm requested to pray. Acts 28 and 29 actually goes on. I'll just take you right there. It goes on and talks about that. It says, Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. He's always to remember that the people are why he's there. 
And that's what it's about. The only reason I stand here is for you. You rest on my shoulders and you rest on my heart. And it's a wonderful memorial that God has created. But let's look at some other places of stone that God used. And the first biblical reference to memorial stones comes in Genesis chapter 28, starting at verse 10. You can go there. I've got a piece of it here. It says, when Jacob set a pillar in in Bethel to commemorate a powerful vision of God that he experienced while sleeping there, the experience was so striking that Jacob felt that it must be commemorated, so he erected a stone upon the place that he slept, a stone memorial. Jacob did not want to forget what God had given him. Bethel, which means house of God, important center for worship. By physically remembering what God had done, Jacob increased his faith and the faith of those that later worshiped in that exact place. Bethel became a place of worship, became a city. I think it's pronounced Bethel in um, the proper language. But he erected a stone monument. It was so moving on him. He built it in stone. In Joshua chapter 4, 1 through 8, God commands the Israelites to cross the Jordan River, as I mentioned, when he stopped, uh, when, uh, which he stopped miraculously, which I said a moment ago. Joshua leads the 12 tribes to remove boulders from the riverbed, which they erect in the promised land and place called Gilgal. Those 12 stones of Jordan were a memorial to God's love and miraculous assistance. However, these stones are appreciated Appreciating not just by those who witnessed the miracle, Joshua 4, 21 for 22 explains that in the future, your children were asked, what do these stones mean? As I mentioned a moment ago, it becomes something that we pass on to the generations coming behind us. It's so critically important to God that you teach generation after generation. It cannot be forgotten. They'll say, what do those stones mean? And you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. God longs for us to proclaim his goodness to future generations. There's no question about that throughout the word. The remembrance stones in Gilgal reminded future generations of the God of miracles so that their faith would be renewed. We believe that eternal wall will do this as it memorializes Jesus for centuries. So important that the memories are kept in stone and passed on generation to generation. If someone in this room has lost someone or or has a grandfather or a great-grandfather that was lost in a war, I hope it's something that comes up in conversation on Memorial Day that you talk about granddad or or a grandmother even. There were many ladies who were in in different uh, forms of service in the war, whether they be nurses, whether they were in the wax, whatever it may be. But if you're related to someone, if you know someone who gave the ultimate sacrifice during World War II, I hope it's something that comes up in con- you know, conversation. I was just talking to Sister Schultz, whose uh, father survived the war but was a POW in Germany. My goodness, what an incredible, amazing story that must be. Don't lose that. Don't lose why that happened and what that experience was. Fascism was at the core of all of that. Could we be facing something similar to that in future days right here in America? the movement of fascism and what it meant. Well, we can learn, and people mention these types of things all the time. Their radar is up where they start to see things that are a little scary, that are looking similarly to history. Our attention kind of gets riled. You hear the name Hitler evoked all the time, right? 
Both sides of the political aisles constantly ringing up comments about Hitler. Why? Because everyone is so cognizantly aware and, 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 and just it's been so ingrained in us and pounded at us. What happened in the leading up to this time when one man can seize an entire nation and then get an entire uh, uh, axis of allies uh, together to go after the Jewish people and, in, in, and, and capture them and destroy them to the tunes of millions that died. It's so ingrained in us that even today they're throwing the name Hitler back and forth in the political arena. But what we need to remember is that sacrifice. We need to remember what grandpa was doing or what great granddad was doing or what mom was doing or grandma was doing, what their service was. We cannot forget the sacrifice. I heard someone say recently in a commentary, I wonder what would happen if there was a draft in this country right now. Well, they certainly couldn't come out of the West Coast or the East Coast because they'd get a bunch of guys dressed in skirts and, and carrying handbags, a bunch of pacifists. and I'm, I know it's hilarious, but come on, let's be real. Look at what we've produced in this country. Look at what this movement has made where it's, defem, it's feminized men and it's, it's demasculated a whole generation. I think about my grandfather who was very fortunate in one way that he was stationed here in the United States of America. My grandfather has a very unique story, one that's fairly rare. He was a guard at an internment camp in San Francisco, Japanese-American internment camp. And if you know that story, it's a very, very dark part of our history. We gathered up Japanese-American citizens just because they were Japanese. And we put them in camps because... The government was afraid that they would rise up along with their brethren and attack us internally. And my grandfather had to be a guard at one of those places. You think, well, he lucked out, hey? Three hots and a cot, and he was right here in the United States of America. But I want to tell you that that job, that, that role that he played tortured him. He could not talk about it, and I'll tell you why. Because he was instructed by his commanding officers that if anyone was caught outside the gate, it didn't matter who it was, if they were outside of the fences, they were to be shot and killed. That was his orders. My grandmother told me many, many years ago that he did talk about it just a little bit when he first got home. Many times he was faced with families, husbands and wives and little children, staring down the barrel of his rifle, pointed at them, weeping and begging them to go back in because he was given orders to shoot them. Memorials. So maybe he escaped combat and maybe he escaped the ugliness of fighting or being a POW, Sister Schultz. But what happened to him there was deeply, deeply disturbing and he could never, ever talk about it. He never spoke to it, about it again, ever. Those immorals we need to learn from. 1 Samuel chapter 7 7 through 12, depicts the Israelites under imminent attack from the Philistines. God leads them to victory. So Samuel erects a large stone and he names it Ebenezer. Remember Ebenezer? Meaning the stone of help. Has anybody got some Ebenezers in their life? Samuel recognized the source of their victory and publicly declared it by commemorating God's goodness in a permanent way. It excuse me, ensured that the Israelites would not forget God's grace. The memorial stones made sure that all glory went to God, the illustrator of Israel's success. 
And as I told you this morning, the, the message that I have is that building your memorials in stone is really important. One thing that I learned for many years being in the advertising world, I sold advertising for many years, they used to tell us that people have very short memories. Has anyone here ever heard of Coca-Cola? You know how many billions of dollars a year that Coca-Cola spends on television and media advertising? You'd have to live in a black hole for the last 50 years not to know what Coca-Cola is. Why would they spend so much money on advertising every year? Because they recognize that the average consumer's memories are very short. And if they don't advertise, guess who steps up and takes their market share? Pepsi. So you've heard of Pepsi. Really? I thought it was the only one. How about McDonald's? Anybody ever heard of McDonald's? Since gourmet restaurant, it's, there's one right around. It's really fancy. I never go because I can't afford it. <laughs> Same thing. McDonald's spends billions advertising. You can't turn your radio on. You can't see a billboard. You can't turn on a television anywhere and not see. Somewhere in the course of a few minutes, you're going to see a McDonald's commercial. How could you possibly not know about McDonald's at this point? I mean, it's not like the people have never seen Star Wars. It's another story. But it's because people's memories are so short, so very fleeting. And I want to say this this morning, and this is going to be the end of my message. It is so critically important that you take the memories, the memorials that God has done for you and carve them in stone. It's so easy for the human flesh to remember the hurts, to remember the things that were dissatisfactory to you, to remember the offenses. When someone hurts you, that lasts a long, long time. That's the way the flesh is designed. It's always designed for the negative, right? But those great moments, those great moments that God gave us, why do they disappear so easily? We need to start erecting our memorials in stone. And I'm talking about stone that, that domestic terrorists can't te- tear down, that other people can't take away from you. Because you know what God did for you? Nobody can take that away. No leader, no pastor, no friend at church, no parent, no bad relationship, no ex-wife or ex-husband, they can't take it away from you. But I worry sometimes that the negative things creep up and they sort of consume the good things that God did. And I'm talking about from the very beginning. How many of you here have the Holy Ghost? Raise your hand, you got the Holy Ghost. Okay, there was a point in life where you didn't know God And you are a worthless sinner bound for a bad, bad place, just like me. But you found your place to an altar and you wept before God and you repented before God. Nothing else mattered. Your bad relationship with a person didn't matter. Your your dysfunctional family didn't matter. Whoever hurt you at your job didn't matter. Nothing mattered except what was happening between you and God right there at that moment. Did you carve that moment in stone when you wept before him and you asked him for forgiveness and you received grace 
and God filled you with his Holy Ghost? How about the times when you stood over and you watched your children do the same thing? Yeah, but Sally hurt me. Fred was a jerk to me the other day, and that's, I, that's all, I'm, I'm out. Are those coming to the surface, or are there some stones, some monuments carved in stone that no one's ever going to take away from you? That you're going to say, this is where I stand. This is what God did for me. This is the memorial that I'm going to cling to. And forget that fleeting hurt. Forget that idiot that made a mistake. Forget that person that hurt me. Forget that situation that happened and didn't go well. I'm just as human as that person. But I've got some memorials carved in stone that are never, ever going to pull me out, never going to take me away, never going to turn me away from Jesus because he didn't offend me. He didn't hurt me. He's not a flesh person that's tearing me up. He's not a dysfunctional family member that's hurting me. He's our memorial in stone. The rock of offense to the other side. The stone that the builders rejected. That's a monument that exists in your life if you're full of his spirit this morning. Amen. I want to challenge my church. Forget the fleeting things. Forget the, mon the monuments and the memorials that you're carrying about anything else that doesn't matter to eternity. And go back to your stone monuments. Freshen them up a little bit. Put a fence around them so domestic terrorists can't spray paint them, can't tear them down, wrap ropes on them and hook their pickup truck to them and drag them down. Do what you've got to do to protect your monuments. Bring them to your memory every day. Put pictures of them up. Get your kids' baptismal certificates out. Put them up on the wall instead of that file cabinet place you got down in the basement. We need to start erecting memorials to the awesome things that God does for us. And we need to erect them in stone forever and ever. And you know why? Because when your generations are coming up and they're looking at mom and dad, are there memorials for mom and dad uh, sitting around talking about what Aunt Sally did or what the pastor did or what the neighbor said or what this dysfunctional family member did? Are there memorials of negativity that are rolling through your generations or there are monuments erected that says, look what mom and dad experienced back here. Look at this miracle God gave us, Junior. Look at what God did for us. Are there monuments in your life of stone that the generations are going to look and say, why is there a monument built like that, mom and dad? So you can answer the question because God gave us a miracle. Because God healed mom when she had that disease. Because God brought us through that terrible time. Do you have that memorial built in stone? Or are you operating under memories that don't matter? And are you affecting your generations coming up behind you? There may not be many generations left to come. But there's a couple that are right here with us. And if we're not careful, we're going to lose them. If we don't build our monuments in stone, you can stand with me this morning. Too many memories are built on fleeting emotion or focused on selfish motives. I talked not too long ago about preferences. I prefer it this way. I like it that way. I don't like the way they did that. I don't like the way this is going. I don't like how that person does that. We're built on preference. Society has trained us to build everything around our personal preferences, make our burger the way we like it. We've got to let go of that. 
When God has done something for you or has done something for you, you need to build a memorial stone that can never, ever be torn down. And better yet, make them stone altars. When Noah got out of the ark, I imagine in my mind that he walked down that ramp and he kissed the ground, the dry ground. And what did he do? He built an altar. What did Abraham do? He built an altar. Maybe those stone monuments need a two-function deal. Altar's open this morning. Come and dig up your monuments. Dig up your memorials. And in that hole that's left behind, take all those bad things that don't matter and those hurts and those different issues, stick them right down in that hole and bury them. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.